0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, so, good, so good to be together. Um, Remembrance Sunday, very powerful day, isn't it? It's a very powerful um uh, maybe some of you picked up the little recording that was going about this week that actually um, where the gunfire stopped at 11 minutes past 11 on the 11th hundred years ago. It's been about Facebook. Uh, it's just a powerful wee video that, that you, when you listen to it, where the guns actually stopped at that strategic moment where the ceasefire was announced. 17 million people lost their lives in the First World War. Incredible, isn't it? A million Probably in around a million people from um, Britain and Ireland, and uh, so powerful, isn't it? That uh, when you—I don't know any, anybody watched the the, the the service last night. Very powerful. Okay, we're on this uh, theme called Unveiled Faces, and uh, quite excited about it. You know, it felt like the last wee while it uh, uh just been moved by the preparation, and Dave and I were chatting about this this week and trying to get our heads around it a little bit, and sometimes when you get into a theme, you can get off on a bit of a tangent. Maybe we felt a little bit like that, and Really been praying this week that God would realign our hearts, and it feels like the Spirit of God is putting out a bit of a crumb trail, for want of a better phrase, drawing us gently, teasing us in a way um, towards a reward, a kind of a treasure hunt that we're searching for something of great worth. That's what it feels like to me anyway, and I really feel like we're journeying in this together, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but I do feel an anticipation in my spirit, for something that's good, and I'm convinced that it is more of the goodness of God. And I suppose that uh, uh, we wanted to help you understand that uh, when we get a glimpse of God's face, it ruins us for anything else. That's the truth of it. Romans, I think it's uh, in Romans 2 4. It, it it tells us that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Beautiful, isn't it? And brings us into a deep revelation of that love that we were born to know. I love this um, little statement of um, E. Stanley Jones. He says, I looked into his face and forever was forever spoiled for anything that was unlike him. I don't know, I'm sure none of you have ever heard of Hetty Green. Hetty Green, Hetty Green died in 1916. And um, she was known, Guinness Book of Records, she was known, I was just a bit under challenge one time and read this. Um, she was known as the world's greatest miser. She died in 1916 and she left an estate worth a um, hundred million dollars in 1916. A hundred million dollars. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But um, it says that she ate oatmeal cold because it cost too much to heat it. Um, Her son, it sounds funny, but it's a bit ridiculous. Her son's leg was amputated because she delayed too long looking for a free clinic. Um, Someone who is such... Assets and such great wealth lives a life of a pauper when all this wealth is at her disposal. And I suppose I read the story of Hetty. I thought the same could probably be said about Christians. Some Christians today who live beyond their means. And Paul, when he writes to the church at Ephesus, he wants to remind us that we have been blessed. Um, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. See that little phrase? Every spiritual blessing. That's a present tense statement. He's not talking about the future. He's not talking about stored up in heaven. He's talking about here and now. And however many of these blessings go unused, and many Christians who have this wonderful, uh, all of these wonderful assets live lives of quiet desperation, really. Um, we live in a hut when Father wants us to live in a palace, and God would have us to know about these blessings. Paul, actually, in this same chapter, writes about, he says, this is my prayer. He, pray, he says this, I pray that you wisdom, that, the, that God would flood your hearts to know what the riches of this glory is what your inheritance is in Christ. He said, this is my prayer. Paul, in Ephesians 1, falls to his knees. And and he said, lest we become the equivalent of a spiritual heady green, we plan to to mine. And, And it feels a bit like that at the minute. There are some blessings that become very natural and When we pray at night, we thank God for our homes and our food that we have and for our heating in our homes and things that so often we can take for granted that are the blessings of God. But there are other blessings that we have to dig for. And I sense that's where we are at the moment, that there's some stuff. And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. Um, I'm not on next week. We've got Frank DiMazio next weekend. Back in 1991, somebody gave me a tape of a man speaking called Mel Cooley. And Mel Cooley was from Bible, um, City Bible Temple in Portland, Oregon. And the message caught me so much. I, before the days of Google, I, I wrote to City Bible Temple, and, this, and they sent me a form, and I signed up to a tape of the week. Anybody remember Those. And uh, and for since that, from 1991, I was going to say, I've been getting the tape of the week. It's a little bit further advanced now. We can podcast and all of that. But I've been following City Bible Temple. I visited there four years ago, four or five years ago. Um, very powerful right out on the West Coast. And... Uh, and there are church that are very just like a promo there's a church that are very powerful in the word, very strong in the word, but very powerful in the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so Frank DiMaggio is the senior pastor of that church for many, many years, As sort of semi-retired now, but travels a lot and does teaching, and he's a preaching machine. And uh, you'll be truly blessed. So he's going to be on next week. And then what I'm going to do between now and Christmas, any time I'm on, I'm going to take you on a bit of a trail around the glory of God, all right? So um, we're going to eventually get to Exodus 33, where some of you will know that's the point where Moses Um, uh, comes to this contending for the presence or the face of God. And and this is where I sense God's trying to get us to get a glimpse of his glory. And I'm learning that that there's something that happens whenever a biblical character um, had an encounter with God. It changed them forever, but it changed the atmosphere around them and changed sometimes their nation. Um, which is quite incredible. So there's something that happens when, and I feel that God is breaking us through these restrictions, these limitations that are on our hearts. And many of these limitations we've, we've unknowingly placed ourselves, uh, placed God into these sort of, into this sort of limited thing that he can do for us unknowingly. Even we do that sometimes. And God wants to break into our lives in a, in a new place of encounter that will reveal new ways of his character and his glory and, 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 and shift things around a little bit for us. And some of you might fight back and argue a little bit and say, well, Phil, you know, is it not already in the Bible? Do we not just get on with it? Well, the answer to that is a little bit of yes and a little bit of no, um, because while it is all in the Bible, and there is no doubt about that, um, we can sometimes settle for yesterday's blessing. And the children of Israel couldn't keep manna even one day. They couldn't eat yesterday's manna because it just stank, the Bible tells us. And so we we can't do this on our own strength. We need to taste afresh something of God. And we need the weight of God to increase in us. And I believe there's a clear thread through the Bible that calls us to Passionately pursue the presence of God because God wants to be known and he wants to be known he, he wants he wants us to know him like he knows us that 's the deal and that's pretty intimate that's pretty powerful he knows the very thoughts that you think he knows the hers in your head and that's not too hard for some of us, but harder for others. He knows everything about us. And as we get in that trail, as we taste of him, it becomes a joy to keep pursuing that. And we're filled with, this, with his presence and get hungry for more. And this is why we chose this verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, that we, with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. So God wants to strip something from our eyes, that we contemplate His glory, and we get transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we're entering into new Encounters and revelations of His glory. There's no doubt about that. So, are we? Have we seen revival? No, we haven't. But have we? Have we seen something? Yes, we have. Dave was referring to this this morning. Now, we started this three years ago. This will be three years this 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 month um, that we did. We we bought a thousand of these ping pong balls, and I don't know how many's in here now. But this is this isn't revival, but it, it, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? That God's moving. These are people who have come to faith in Christ Jesus. And so we need to see this filled up. We need to buy another thousand. us believe God that we can buy another couple of thousand of these things and, and see these filled and see the presence of God move because there's something moving. We need and so there's a reason why God, there's a reason why God drew Peter, James, and John up the mountain that day. There's a reason why God. God Jesus to bring Peter, James, and John up the mountain that he would unveil and show them more of his glory. Not, not the rest of them. wonder why. He brings these three guys and he chooses these three guys to, as it were, lift the veil. Because they saw the kingdom. They saw manifestations of his power. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him do all of these powerful things. And all of a sudden, God says, now, I want those three guys to, I'm going to reveal a little bit more to them. Interestingly, if you study those three guys, you'll find that them three especially became very powerful in revealing that to the church. (laughs) there were going to be atmosphere changers there were going to be nation changers there were going to be people that would shake the world a little bit and and so these were the men that would would carry his glory to the nations these were the men that could walk up to somebody who was lame and say if you're reading the authorizer it could sing it silver and gold have i known anybody ever sing that but such as I have, give I thee. Now you're all about to run out. And he said, In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. What was, what was, what was he doing? They were saying in, in everyday language Look, I haven't got a shell in me. Don't, no money. But something else, something better than money. I've no money to give you. And he, and he says, What I have, I can give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And this guy jumps to his feet and springs off. What had they got? They got the presence of God the presence of God, the manifold wisdom and presence of God. And and so so I think God wants us to understand his glory a little bit more. And so that's what we're going to do. And I think even more than that, I'd love you to think about it for your community, not just for you. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. All right. I'm out of breath already. We're going to talk a bit about the glory. The glory of God is one of the attributes of God. There are other attributes of God. There's his wisdom and his love and his word and his spirit. And they're all facets of who he is, all right? They're not him, but they're actually facets of who he is that, that tell us about his character and one of the words the, the the Greek word or the Hebrew word sorry for for glory is the word kavod now we've heard the word kavod this is the word kavod this is the, this talks about wit. this talks about glory this talks about the weary presence of god it's a very powerful word a sense of heaviness is actually used in the physical manifestation as well in judges 3 there's a story about a great big fat king the bible not sorry I'm not this isn't derogatory i'm just telling you what the bible tells us an eglon was the king of moab and he was hugely obese And there was a guy uh, called Ehud, and the Bible tells us he was left-handed. There you go, Laurie. Laurie's left-handed. And uh, so the Bible tells us he was a left-handed man, and he made a dagger, all right, a homemade dagger, and he strapped it to his right thigh, all right? And he goes into the presence of this king who was a bad man, and he takes his dagger with his left hand. Pulls it from his right thigh, he plunges it into this big man called Eglon, and I said the fat closed over and engulfed the handle. It's a lovely story, isn't it? <laughs> Judges 3. Sorry, I just thought I'd lift your spurts a little bit and tell you about that. But it's in the Bible. It's in it's in the Bible. And 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 it's that word kabod that it talks about physical weight. All right. And, uh, and when it's used alongside a person, it means significance or weightiness. So using it metaphorically, you could say, they just don't understand the weight of this conversation. Anybody ever think of that when you're talking to your teenage kid? You know, they just under- don't understand the gravity of what we're talking about right now. That's what this word means. And so when it comes to Psalm 8, it says, there's a beautiful psalm. It says, what is man? that you are, the psalmist said to God, what is man that you are mindful of him? But you crowned him with kavod, with glory and honor. You give him the power to rule and reign. You give man the right to rule. And so a little description of kavod is on the screen. It implies the physical manifestations of God's presence when he shows up somewhere. <laughs> so so this, is, this is God showing up. All right? This doesn't happen unless God shows up. The most beautiful thing to watch when you're, when you're leading someone to Jesus and, you, and, you, and you're not manipulating anything and you're just watching the Holy Spirit come. This, this is God. And you see the weight of the presence of God come on them. Your tears begin to flow, and, and you think, wow, this is the most incredible thing because these are physical manifestations which are signs of the proximity of God. God's about. That's why you, that's why you need to, when, when God's about, you treat it with respect. You treat it with awe. You don't run in and say, hold on, God, I'm going to sort this out. You let God do his best. And so, in um, and, and, and all of this, and knowing this, uh, when, when, we, when we start to explain the God story, we begin to see that God was always trying to draw his people back to experience this kabod. He was saying, oh, you keep running away from it. You keep, you, I'm showing you over and over again that I'm at work. I keep showing you over and over again that I'm here. I keep showing you over and over again that I'm in the midst of this. And, and you keep running away and doing your own thing. And he's, he's saying, come back, come back, all the time. And so I want to pick up on Moses, so, so forgive me because Jesus is, is way up here in my books and Moses is about here. He's always been my hero in the Bible, so I'm going to delve into Moses for a few weeks, so beware, you could be here late. I'll try not on Um... But uh, the, 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 this, this idea of this man, so what's happened when we pick up the story of Moses, the children of Israel under um, Joseph, whenever they... Whenever the the famine hit and Joseph goes down into Egypt and then becomes the 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 the, like the prime minister of the land, brings his family down to live. They begin to inherit and gush in and then they grow and 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 all of a sudden the Pharaoh dies and another Pharaoh comes in and he doesn't he gets a bit intimidated by these Israelites so he enslaves them and he and he he, he puts harsh treatment on them and 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 all of a sudden for four hundred years the 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 children of Israel, these people of God who have run away from God's presence are are in bondage. And in chapter 1 of Exodus, we, we pick up the story of this, where the cruel oppression of the Israelites by the Egyptians, God's blessing the Israelites, and they're growing and growing. And, and the Egyptians, they're, they're, they're afraid, and furrows are afraid, and they enslave them, they treat them harshly, and then they, they, they tell the Hebrew handmaids, the, 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 the midwives, to say, look, whenever the bo- when, a, when it's a girl, let it live. When it's a boy, make sure it dies. This is what they say to the midwives. Of course, the midwives don't do that. They, they make this excuse that the, 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 the Hebrew women give birth so quickly. They give birth before we can get there. And so, and so the, the pharaoh begins to realize this plan isn't working. And so the, the first chapter ends with the pharaoh giving an instruction to chuck all the Egyptian boys, all the male children, into the Nile. Horrific, isn't it? Chapter 2 focuses on just one baby boy. His name is Moses. And, and when he's born, his parents don't follow that instruction, thankfully. And they hide him in a little ark, and they put him to float in the, in the bulrushes in the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter's out bathing or washing, and, and she finds him. She takes him as her own. And, and, and there's a time, however, when Moses grows up in the palace, and then there comes a time, I'm fast-tracking, as you can see, and there comes a time then that Moses actually says, I'm, I'm, an, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm an Israelite. And he realizes his inheritance, he realizes who he is, and he goes out one day, and he begins to look and see, and he sees the harsh treatment, and he sees this taskmaster beating an Israelite, and he he steps into the middle to intervene, and whatever happens, Moses has a bit of an anger problem. We know that from studying him. He's a bit of a hothead, and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster. And so the Pharaoh, who in some ways is brother, half-brother related to him, is out to kill them. And so Moses has to go on the run. He finds himself in the wilderness. He's in the land of Midian. He, he, he meets this Midianite priest who ends up to be a distant relative. He, he, and, and, and then we begin to see Moses gets married, settles down, has children. And from all that we are told, this is all chapter 2 of Exodus, from all we are told, we'll never expect, I suppose, in our wildest dream that we'll ever see Moses back in Egypt again, and certainly not as a deliverer of the nation. And, and chapter 3, all of this, by the way, is God's process to reestablish glory. Chapter 3 opens, and there's a significant change in the drama. And, and what I want to give you here really quickly with 10 minutes, um, 12, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to give you eight things, eight lessons that I've learned in life that I think are really important. You get practical lessons. If you have a pen and paper and you want to take a pick, I think it would be good to write them down because I think these are lessons for life. They're lessons that, that, that are really interesting. So, um, chapter 3 is a significant change and we move from the silence of God. God has been silent for almost 400 years and I need you to know, lesson 1 is this, God's silence never equates to inactivity. God's silence. If you're in a place of silence at the moment and you feel that your prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming down and you're not getting the answers to your prayers, I want you to know this, that God's silence never equates to inactivity. Never, never, ever. And you'll see that as we go on through this story. This is a very significant point of transition it develops with the commissioning of Moses to go back to Egypt and the Pharaoh and to deliver God's people from their oppression and bondage. It ends, the chapter ends with the beginnings of Moses' resistance towards the task God has given them. And I'd love to read a couple of verses if you have it in your Bible. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Exodus 3 um, or if you've had it on a nap. I'd love you just to pen it and if you've you 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 scribbled, I hope you're a scribbler, mark these little words because they're very powerful. Now Moses was keeping the flock, number one of chapter three of Exodus, of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was not burning, yet it was, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. An interesting thing, isn't it? A bush in fire, but not burning up. Now, God's been silent for 400 years. He hasn't spoke to humanity for 400 years. Interesting to, to realize the first thing he says is a name. <laughs> and God said, Moses, Moses. Beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. This whole idea of, of, of the idea of God speaking to Moses at this time, a bush and fire in the wilderness wasn't a... Uh, 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 a an, an uncommon thing, but this was uncommon. Or maybe maybe God, maybe Moses had missed him in the midst of everything that he was doing before. Maybe he had missed him before, but here he is. God has got his attention. I've got this on screen. This was a defining moment for me. Twenty years ago, I was invited to speak at a YFC retreat in Dungiven. And I was speaking in this passage, and they give me the title, Intentional Living. And I was speaking in this passage, and I was reading it, and God had one, of, had one of those moments, a revelatory moment, when you're preaching that God actually, I'd never saw it before, that it was when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. And I felt God say to me, Phil, I've been trying to get you to turn aside for a while. Interesting how God can't speak when we're too busy. We block out God. It says when God saw that he turned aside to say, God called to him out of the bush. Very, very powerful. This day started out like any other. The leather-skinned shepherd expected nothing out of the ordinary. Though no doubt he wanted something different to break the monotony of and sheep. After 40 years of sheep tending, Moses' life had become all too predictable. He knew all the grazing places. He had the exact location of every water hole within Miles his mind. Anybody in the room ever worked, has worked in the same place for over five years? Anybody? Wow. Anybody worked in the same place for over 10 years? Wow, lots of you. Any worked in the same place for over 20 years. What about 30? Let's go for 30. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? You, you, you understand what Moses, you, you, you know what it works like. You've worked there for all your life. You, you, know, you, you know what you're going into tomorrow. At least you think you do. You know what you're going into tomorrow because you, you've been doing it so long. You know all the little things. But here's my lesson, lesson number two. All right? All right, here we go. God wants your attention. And He will, do, he will go to extremes to get it. God wants your attention and he will go to extremes to get it. There is something about God looking your attention. And here's my lesson number three. Lesson number three, God often turns up in the mundane, everyday stuff. As a matter of fact, I've, I, 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 when I study the Bible, Jacob is asleep. He puts a stone down. He goes to sleep. God turns up, give him, gives him a vision that changes his world. David, he's feeding his sheep starting to practice with a little slingshot. Little did he know God was, 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 was training him for greatness. Mary, when she's doing just what an ordinary teenage girl does, God turns up. Joseph, in a dream over and over again. Abram, when he's eating supper at the door of his tent, God turns up in the very mundane, everyday stuff. Now there are moments in the Bible where we have big lightning flashes. We have, the, we have the Revelation 5. We have the Exodus 19. We have all those great moments in the Bible where God turns up and they're earth-shattering. But mostly, they're few and far between. Mostly, He turns up in the very mundane. Here is Moses. There's an occasional snake. There's a beast. That offers excitement in the solitude of the wilderness. Perhaps Moses even talked to himself and talked to the, talked to the sheep. I had a plumber came out to fix something in our house recently, and he was, he was a great guy, but he talked to the radiators. It was kind of funny. So he was working at my radiators and I was doing plumbers, mate, I was attending them and he was going, that's it now, there's plenty of air coming out there, I like to hear the air. You're turned off there now, aren't you? You're turned off there. And that one there is turned on, and that one turned on. And then he would say to me, would you go hit the heat on? I didn't know I was talking to me or talking to the radiator. <laughs> and uh, this, is what, this is what Moses was doing. Moses was probably just talking to himself, having this wee conversation with himself. Maybe he'd even talk to his sheep and he would say, that's Herbie over there. And that's Martha there. And I don't know. But here he is. He's in the mundane. And, 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 and he has this life-shattering event, this defining moment that comes but a few times in your life, and you could miss it if you're too busy. I call him the now I know moments where God says to Abram, Don't lay your hand on the lad, for now I know that you love me. And so there's, there's, there's this idea that he turns up in the very mundane things. The burning bush was not just a, a profound effect upon Moses, but it was, a, it was defining for not just the nation of Israel, but for us even here today. So my lesson four is this. It could and probably does affect more than you. Seldom. When God moves in your life, does it mean just for you? As a matter of fact, it's something more powerful. And in verse 6, God identifies himself to Moses in this way. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Moses, the God of Isaac. And, and this is the idea. When, he, when, when he's meeting with Moses, he, he says this to Moses. He says, Moses, I, I want you to come near, but I don't want you to come near as you are. You see, he says, I want you to take off your sandals. He says, for the place you're standing is holy ground. And so Moses kicks off his shoes. He didn't have to undo his laces, I'm sure, like I just done. But he kicks off his shoes and, and he's saying, you see, you see this, is, this is a call to service. When you come as a sinner to Jesus, you come with all your, all your stuff, all your sin, all your baggage. He invites us to come with it all. But this is a different moment. This is, this is a moment when God said, now I have a job for you to do, Moses, and you can't bring all that stuff. <laughs> I want you to come, you see, Moses. I just don't want you to bring all of that baggage. You see, it's a narrow way, and in the narrow way, you can't carry suitcases. <laughs> You can carry those in a broad way, but you can't carry those in a narrow way. You see, there's no room. There's just room for you. There's no room for all the stuff. And so I want you to come, but I just don't want you to come as you are. You need to take off some things. And for all of us as we move into this move of God that God's doing at the minute, this call is so, so important. And, and so it wasn't, that, it wasn't that he was a new and different God. It was he said, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm still God. This is not a new plan. This is just the outworking of an old plan. This is, this is the plan that was revealed to your father Abraham in Genesis 15. And for 400 years, God has been distant and removed. But, but, but here he is, he's turning up. And, and then he says, he says, you see, I, I, I have heard the first five and seven, five to seven in Exodus. He says, "I've heard the, the suffering of my people. I've heard their cries. This is my 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 next lesson. Lesson five: God sees, knows, hears, and notes everything. And He could use you. You see, if you think He's silent, don't think He doesn't notice what's going on." this is why it's important that we we don't slip into this mindset that god doesn't really know and 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 so cuz while Here's, here's a brilliant point. That while God is, is going to be directly involved in the deliverance of His people, He will do it through a human being. <laughs> I love this. I love this, that God uses us. He uses this simple little boy who has no education from the south shores of Loch to, to to do something. That He uses you. That He uses you and you and you and you because He loves you. And that's what He does. He does His stuff through you. And this is so amazing because whenever it's a rich revelation because the, the idea is when, the whole passage could be summed up probably in two questions because when, when God turns up, you, you see, there must be a, a two before there's a through. He said, Moses, I, I have some stuff to do in you. You see, you're interested about... 40 years ago, all you wanted to do was release the, and, and save a nation, but I have some stuff to do in you before I can do anything through you. And God's more interested in the two than he is in the through. We want to fast track, don't we? We want to get to the, to the ministry. We want to get there. But, and, and so here's what happens. Moses says, here's the thing. He says, but who am I? Who am I? Probably two big questions in this chapter. He says, who am I that, that I would go to the pharaoh? And God Answers that was in verse 12, it's a beautiful verse. He says, Don't worry, Moses, I'll go with you. And Moses answers, he says, But who are you? Who are you? Whenever they say, whenever they say, whenever I say to them, You sent me, and they're going to ask me, Well, who is he? who will I say is? it's amazing, isn't it? How Moses Moses is, is is going through this whole thing. These responses serve to clarify his character even further. And this is what God says. God says, when they ask you that, he said, You, you say, I am who I am. <laughs> I am who I am. Say this to the people. I am have sent you. How beautiful. This amazing, incredible thing. Because here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. Lesson. 7, and we're near there. Um, God is always trying to lift the focus with the reassurance of His presence. Here's, here's, Watch me one minute. I'll show you this. What God is doing, He's trying to get Moses to lift his eyes from the sendee to the sender. Next time you think you're doing something great, remember this. You're just the sendee. He is the sender. And, and God is trying to lift Moses' focus. He's saying, Moses, you just got so bogged in, down in yourself. Sometimes in ministry, we can do this. Sometimes in life, we can do this. It's all about me, and nobody understands what I'm going through. And I'm in this, and I'm in that. You see, it's important. What is important is not the inter, inter, instrument in God's hand, but whose hand the instrument is in. You see, a knife in a robber's hand, is a completely different thing than a knife in a surgeon's hand. Same object, just in a different hand. And my question to you as we bring this, try to land this for this week, whose hand are you in? Because it's not about the object, it's not about the sendee, it's about the sender. He is a, he is the great one. And this is what God's doing with Moses. He's trying to lift. Before God could use Moses to free a nation, he, he first has to free Moses of his own inconsistencies and weakness. And that's what he has to do with you. That's what he has to do with me. And, and, and I think it's time, like, Peter and James and John to go up the mountain, and, and, and he will require everything. And we're going to look into that next time, what he actually requires of you. But here's the whole deal. Here's the whole deal. Gary, would you want to come and we'll finish with a song? he is, this is lesson eight, he's unveiling his glory to us bit by bit. If he unveiled it all at one go, would explode in a moment of time. But he reveals his glory. And then one day, hear me in this, one day, one day there's going to be a shout of God. Going to be a shout. I don't know what it'll be like. It's going to be well heard. There's going to be a trump. There's going to be a voice of the archangel. The Bible says that the graves of our loved ones who've gone before will be opened and the dead in Christ will rise. And then it says, We which are alive and remain shall be got up together with them in the air to meet the Lord. And then we're going to see his glory. We're going to see the kavod. We're going to see the presence and power of his glory. And listen, listen, let me close with this little story. This is why we've used this verse so powerfully. Onveiled faces. That God's revealing something to us bit by bit. Ever increasing glory. And if you think your story's not heard, there's a great story in the Bible of Rachel. And Rachel was uh, married to Jacob. And uh, Jacob fell in love with Rachel and asked asked her dad could he marry her. And Dad been pretty ruthless as he was. He said, well, I'll, I'll let you marry her, but you have to work for her for seven years. He worked for her for seven years. And the Bible tells us it seemed like a day. Love is powerful, isn't it, Laurie? Um And it just seemed like a day. The seven years just seemed like a day. He was so much in love with her. And the night of the wedding, Dad did a little trick. And he gave Jacob the wrong bride. And he give her Rachel's old. He give him Rachel's old older sister Leah. And I don't know how that got misunderstood, but Jacob woke up in the morning beside the wrong bride. Ah! Oh, I've married the wrong woman. Imagine the horror of that! And uh, and he was devastated. He goes to Laban. He said, "You tricked me." And Laban said, "Well, she's the older and that's tradition. You should have married her first. You can have Rachel as well, but you've to work for her for another seven years." And so he gets Rachel, he's to work for her for another seven years. Every time Jacob looks at Leah, she has children. Sorry about the pun, but you know what I mean. And, um, and Rachel's barren, she can't have any children. And, and she's devastated and heartbroken. And she says to, Jacob has to set her on many occasions, he says, Rachel, you're more, more to me than ten sons. Don't don't, don't be panicking about this. But, of course, she's feeling inadequate. She's feeling she can't provide her her husband a a, a son or a daughter. And then, eventually, God opens the womb. Here's her prayer, and she has a boy. She calls him Joseph. She prays for another son, and he opens her womb again, and she has a boy, another son. And when this second son's been born, Rachel says, call him Benoni. You read the story yourself. And the word Benoni means son of my sorrow. And here's poor wee Rachel, and she's, she's summing up her whole life in the naming of her second child. She says, this, my life's been a mess. Tricked by my father, always living under the auspice of an older sister who always was better than me and everything. Just call him Benoni. Just sum up my life. And, my. and the Bible actually tells her that she died in childbirth. She died giving birth to this child. And Jacob says, no, no, call him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Wow. And Rachel dies. And poor Rachel thinks her life was not, thinks her life was all about nothing, thinks that God has distant himself from her, and she's all, all and silent. And I studied Benjamin, and I found an interesting thing. I didn't find much about him, bar that he married. He kept a farm, and he was, seemed to be a decent enough character. And he died. And I think, wow, son of my right hand. It's quite a title, isn't it? And then one day I'm reading in the epistles and Paul's standing before his tribunal and this is what he says, I, Paul, of the tribe of Benjamin. And here we are. Rachel's going, oh, well, This took 2,000 years to work that one out. And I thought my life was all about naught. And here we are, 4,000 years later, talking about her story, never think it's for nothing because God is at work and the unveiling of his glory in us is bit by bit. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk